Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm Micah. This is Sarah. We're the lead pastors at the Vine Church, and we are happy to be together this morning in whatever capacity we can. So thank you for joining us this morning. Today, we're going to talk about generosity. And I was just thinking this week about the times in my life when I've experienced generosity. I remember in college, I was really, really excited anytime I got to go over to people's homes and eat a home cooked meal. Like mm-hmm. in college, that was like a big deal to, to receive, um, people's hospitality and generosity in that way. I think of our girls and when we get a big bag of clothes, the hand me downs that they're, it's like Christmas. They're like, ah, so excited to try all the things on or when friends come over and help us with projects. I, so many times in my life, I've been so grateful to receive generosity from people. But I also recognize that there are times in my life where people's generosity has made me uncomfortable. Uh, I grew up in Guinea, West Africa. Many of you guys know that. And I remember going to friends' homes um, who har- had hardly anything to eat. And yet when I sat down to eat with them, they would give me the best of the meal and the most, the biggest portion and how uncomfortable people's generosity made me feel. Or when I know friends give our girls things and I know think money's tight with them. It's uncomfortable sometimes to receive people's generosity. And yet there's this beautiful thing that happens when we're able to receive, to both give and to receive generosity, is that um, we get to experience the depth of people's care for us. And so today we're going to explore generosity and what it looks like to be a generous church. Yeah. So a few weeks ago, we began the book of Acts and we read as the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the apostles begin teaching and preaching in other languages. People see these signs and wonders. And uh, Peter speaks this message about Jesus, who he is. He is the Messiah. He's our Savior. And people say, what can we do? He says, repent, turn in a new direction be baptized. And they did. Thousands of people became followers of Jesus. The church had begun, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and remarkable things began to happen. And so as we continue to explore the book of Acts, um, we've begun to explore what were the distinctive characteristics of this first century church? What did it look like? How did they operate? Who were they? What was this church marked by? And so last week we talked about a church that is marked by relationship. Uh, relational capacity is central to who the church was and who the church is. Today we're going to explore a church that is marked by generosity. So I'll be reading today from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You know, it's a beautiful description of the church, Mm -hmm. a people who have come together with a common purpose, 
who are concerned for each other and who engage deeply in this mm-hmm. newly formed community. It says the believers were one in heart and mind. Uh, what a remarkable place to be in in life. You know those people just like those closest friends, those bonds that you just cannot imagine would ever be broken, that commonality and that shared passion in relationship. That's what I hear described in this context. You know, communities can be formed in many different ways for many different purposes under many different banners, but this was a very distinctive community. Now, as we read through this text, I'm not sure what it conjured up in you. Um, for some of us, uh, we might hear cult-like or Marxist type of uh, undertones in the language, but it is not at all what this text is describing. Here's what it's describing. It's describing a people that is centered on Jesus, who are led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. God is doing something remarkable as he institutes the church, the agents of his continued mission in the world. It's centered on Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the first concept in there. And a church centered on Jesus and a first century church who so readily remembered the way Jesus gave generously for their sake mm-hmm. has to be a church that is marked by generosity, mm-hmm. uh, uh, reciprocating the generosity that they had received from Jesus and a church that is uh, marked by the Holy Spirit who is guiding, leading, empowering this process. That's the description of a first century church we see there in Acts 4. There's a phrase in here that I love. It talks about how there was no needy person among them. And that phrase goes back to the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 15, um, in the law, it described the year, the seventh year in which all debts were canceled. And and God was describing to the people of Israel, as you go into this land, this is how it ought to be for you. And and, and in verse four, um, it says, however, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land, the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. He will richly bless you if you only fully obey the Lord your God. And I love this. It it harkens back to this Old Testament phrase. There need be no poor people among you, no needy person among you. You can be a community that takes care of each other, a community that shares your resources, a community in which you, you, you strive to have equal opportunity for all and take care of each other. And it really is, um, a beautiful concept and, and and at times we wonder is this actually possible to have a community like this yeah it seems the impossible mm-hmm. and uh it's not the holy spirit uh, empowers us and enables us to live in impossible ways and yet it's not long in the story of the book of acts uh, before mm-hmm. we begin to see some of the breakdown in this structure and this utopian um, sort of description of the church in Acts 2 and 4. So in Acts chapter 6, mm-hmm. um, it, it reads this way. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among 
them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution mm -hmm. of food. So there's a little bit of cultural and contextual information that I think helps us understand what's happening in this moment. Uh, the Hebraic Jews are those that lived in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. the center, the hub of Israelite uh, culture and religion and all that Israel was. The Hellenistic Jews are those that were dispersed out amongst all the other nations. And so there were cultural barriers, there were language barriers, there was many barriers between these Jewish people that had all come together and, and had all be begun to be a part of this forming, this new church. And um, so what we see described here in the beginning of Acts chapter mm -hmm. 6 is that there was inequity even within this early development of the church. I don't know if in, in current times you've heard the term systemic racism. Probably have. Uh, it's been a big conversation amongst our nation. And in, in simple terms, it refers to policies or practices that distribute opportunity or wealth in inequitable ways. Right, So it, it describes policies or practices that bring about inequality based on race or maybe based on gender, based on many different things. Okay, And so that's what we see playing out here in the first century church. And what's, uh, what's tragic is that these policies or these practices tend to affect the most vulnerable people the most profoundly. Mm -hmm. And so here in Acts chapter 6, we see a church mixed amongst Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews, and a concern is brought. Hey, some of our widows, those most vulnerable in Israel's mm -hmm. culture, are not being taken care of in the same way that other people. And here's the thing about systemic racism or the challenge that the first century church was facing in this moment. Um, it was likely not malicious in nature. Right? It, it was largely unknown. You walk with the people that you know, mm -hmm. you care for your own, you see their needs, and you engage most readily with those that you walk most closely with. So for, for whatever reason, we see here in Acts chapter 6 um, that some were not being taken care of in the same way that others were. I hear in that a need for intentionality. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. That, that's pretty powerful. So the story continues. And in uh, verse 2 of chapter 6, the, the 12 apostles gather all the disciples together. They gather the, all the believers together. And they basically lay out the problem. They lay out the challenge. And this is something that I can really appreciate about the apostles. I don't know about your households. I know for our household, sometimes... I mean, we're busy, we're going different directions, our, our calendar is full, you know, each person has a different activity. And, and sometimes in the middle of all the busyness, we recognize that, okay, we need to pause everything and just come together as a family and reassess. And at times it's relationships that are strained or it's household things that have just fallen through the cracks. But there are times when our house just needs to stop and come together and reassess and plan how we're going to move forward um, in healthier ways. And this is what I see the apostles doing here. Now that they've been presented with this problem, they gather all the believers together and they say, okay, here's the problem. 
we need to solve this. We need to come together and figure out how we're going to move forward. And I love that as they are presented with these unhealthy internal dynamics that are going on within the church at this time, they don't take a defensive posture. They don't try to ignore or say, what are you talking about? We're doing just fine. You know, they don't try to shove it under the rug. Instead, they acknowledge the problem. They listen to the experiences of people whom maybe they hadn't listened to before and they work together to come up with a solution Mm -hmm. and when they bring everyone together the apostles make a suggestion they say you know our plate is very full we're we're preaching we're praying we're, we're doing all this stuff it's not something that the 12 of us can take on and so let's appoint um men to oversee this task let's you guys choose Uh, people who you feel are qualified. And and I love the qualifications. They say people who are filled with the spirit and people who are wise. Mm -hmm. Choose these people to help provide equity in this distribution of food. So uh, the people like the proposal. And so they choose seven men who will oversee this process from here on out. Um, And what's interesting is scholars say that based on their names and what we know Mm -hmm. of these individuals and the continued story, uh, it's likely that most or all of these seven men were Hellenistic Jews. It was Mm -hmm. those from the people that were being underrepresented lifted up into positions of leadership to ensure that equity came about in mm. the church. And the effect of this decision, we will, um, we will bring in these seven men to focus specifically on this challenge. The effect of bringing about um, diversity um, representative of their population in their leadership became remarkable both in the church and to onlookers, to those that were watching what was happening in this movement of Jesus. And I love that this story is included here in the early story of the church, because if if we were just to read the, the short descriptions of the church that talked about them all being together and one in mind and one in heart and sharing all the possessions without this story, we might think that it was like a little utopia. That they came to believe in Jesus and then everything was perfect and everything was fine. And and that's not exactly how the story went. I mean, they did have a beautiful honeymoon phase, but then real quick, they had some internal issues that they had to address to be, to continue to be a church marked by generosity and a church marked by caring for each other. The believers had to really work at it. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of principles that I think play out in the way this challenge is dealt with. And as Sarah described, um, we can quite often, you know, look only at the good or for some of us Mm -hmm. look primarily at the bad. It's easy to blind ourselves to the reality of the whole picture of life or the whole picture of the church. And I think this is a remarkable moment as the church is still just forming in its formative years to see that there Mm -hmm. was utopian descriptions and beautiful experiences experience, the spirit was working powerfully amongst the church, there were also challenges. Mm -hmm. And we want to just take a moment to reflect on some of the principles that we see play out in the way that they handled the challenges and to ensure that generosity was restored in the church. I think that one of the first things I see in here is that they acknowledge the challenges. They didn't ignore 
the problems. They didn't ignore the things that weren't going well. And they paused to listen to each Mm -hmm. other and to learn from other people's experiences. So there was a receptiveness to, to acknowledging, yeah, there's some issues here. Yeah. So having acknowledged that there was a problem and listened, then they directly address the problem. They sit down to analyze, but then they mobilize to begin to address the problem that they're facing. And they appointed people to oversee tasks that needed to to be done. And what I love about this is that they shared leadership. And so those who had leadership positions within the community didn't hold on to power. Rather, they empowered others to come alongside and to take care of things. And so there is this shared leadership. And I think that speaks to what the body of Christ is, how it's supposed to operate, that we all have a part to play and our parts are very important no matter what they are. Yeah, so they acknowledge the challenges, they directly address the problem, and then they invite diversity and leadership Mm -hmm. to help uh, curb this problem. And all of that is the story of them striving towards health and opportunity for all Mm -hmm. in the church. It is born of generosity. Out of concern for others, we will structure ourselves in a way that provides opportunity. This is the story of how generosity plays out. It can be just an ideal, a concept, or it can be intentionally worked towards. So as we look at these stories together, we want to ask the question, so what does this invite us to as a church, as individuals? What are we invited to? And I think we are invited through these stories to live generously as a church and as individuals and to take care of each other. So what does it look like in our lives to live generously? I think um, absolutely it means that we give of our resources, that we give of our time uh, to help each other within the church and outside of the church. I think it also means that we are willing to receive generosity. And sometimes that's even more challenging for us than to give generously. There are times when, you know, we've had friends and family come over and bring meals and have to do the dishes in our sink. And sometimes that's harder than us providing food for for other people. But this idea that a generous community both gives and receives generously. And then also from this story, I think we're invited to intentionally um, engage and see people who are often left unseen, to to really see those around us and to listen to their experiences and to advocate for each other, to address those challenges and those problems as they come up and to strive, like you said, for health and equality within our community. Yeah. So we read today the story of the first century church, um, how there was unity and mm-hmm. generosity, but not without its challenges and its struggles. But this isn't just the story of the first century church. This mm-hmm. isn't just a story of the church 2000 years ago. It's a story that continues today amongst you and me, amongst yeah. us as a church. It's a challenge to us. Uh, the challenge being, may we, may we see each other 
May we engage where challenge exists, and may we choose generosity in our interactions with each other. Mm -hmm. Generosity that crosses boundaries, a generosity that chooses the well-being of others first. That is our prayer for the church as it continues today. Mm -hmm. I invite you to pray with us. Dear God, just thank you so much for the ways in which you have been generous towards us, your, your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, we pray today as a church, as individuals, Lord, that you would teach us to live generously, that you would teach us to care for each other and to see those around us, especially those who have different experiences than us. God, I just pray that you would fill us, that your spirit would empower us to live generously and care for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So each week we've been pitching a song your way, something to reflect on and hopefully bless your week. Uh, this week it's a song by Hillsong and it's called Good Grace. And it's really just the beginning of the song that speaks to this idea of generosity and togetherness. But it the the idea of the song is that it is God's grace and mm -hmm. his goodness that brings us together, that creates this community that invites us into these generous, loving, and giving relationships. We hope that you find blessing in this song this week. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everyone.